Hey everyone, welcome back to the Kaderna Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna. Today we're going to talk about one of the biggest aspects of retirement planning, a true bedrock of our American economy, and that is Social Security. As a financial advisor, I've spoken with literally thousands of clients on the subject, and some end up being surprised by just how huge and impactful the system is, while others feel kind of let down by what it does for them or their loved ones. But either way, it's important not to be surprised, but better to understand this enormous program and what it can do for you in the future. So today I'm going to be joined by Social Security expert Martha Shedden. Martha is the president and co-founder of the National Association of Registered Social Security Analysts, or NARSA. NARSA provides online education and training for finance and tax professionals across the country. Martha is the author of numerous Social Security white papers and often quoted in financial publications on the subject. She also holds the Chartered Retirement Planning Counselor designation, or CRPC. So now this is a complex topic. Just a heads up, I'm sure as many retirees find out only too late. So while much of this conversation we're going to have is a review of the system and its solvency and some of the key takeaways that you should be thinking about, there are some parts today where we dive into the weeds. So please try to listen closely. Don't worry if you don't catch it all. Uh, But this is going to be an excellent primer to help you start thinking critically and asking the right questions about one of retirement's greatest assets. So without further ado, here's Martha Shedd. Is going to require work and time and sweat and toil. If money wasn't an issue, what would I be doing? Don't worry about it. You'll figure it out. Change is the only constant. The Kadena Podcast. Martha, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're happy to have you. And this is such a topic that I think everyone has interest in, whether it's folks who are already in retirement, approaching retirement, or even millennials like myself that are asking themselves, you know, is Social Security even going to be around when it's time for us to retire? And uh, maybe to kind of kick off with that, I mean, what, what's this program going to look like? Is it going to be what we've always known it as? That's, that's a really good question. And that is the most common um, question and statement that I hear is, oh, it's not going to be there for me. It's, uh, it's going to go bankrupt. And so that's a really big misunderstanding. Um, Social Security, you know, was, was formed in 1935. It's 87 years old. Um, And it's a, it was designed as a pay as you go system, meaning the current workers, contributions into the Social Security Trust Funds pay for the current beneficiaries' um, benefits. Um, but the, the number of workers ha- over the decades has de- decreased in proportion to the number of retirees. So in 1983, there were some amendments that were made to the program, and they extended it by creating a surplus of funds in the re, in the trust funds, the social security trust funds. And that surplus was earning interest. And so um, for many years, uh, some of that, in, that interest was helping to pay benefits. And now we are using up the surplus principle that's in there. So when you hear that the program is going to not be able to pay full benefits in the 20, 
I think it's estimated 2035 now. That means that that surplus that was in those trust funds will be gone. And then at that time, um, the program would only be able to pay out maybe 80% on the dollar. So rather than full benefits that are now calculated by current law, it would be reduced by 80%. But I, I very strongly uh, feel that that's, that will not happen. I, I know there's, um, there's already movement in Congress with um, some bills suggesting changes. So it will be there for you, no matter what age, it just will be, uh, it could be reduced, but I don't even think that that's going to happen. Okay, well, I mean, that's kind of reassuring. And so correct me if I'm wrong, but prior to 1983, it was purely pay as you go. Was there not this trust fund that was kind of like a, a backstop? Is that how it operated? Well, no, it was pay as you go, but there's always been a trust fund. That's how the system works. The money that we contribute through our payroll and that our employee employers contribute and self-employment folks contribute, that all goes into these trust funds and they are strictly only for social security and Medicare. And they were able to pay out the full benefits, um, but changes and economics and inflation, they called it stagflation in the late seventies and early eighties um, prompted um, this bipartisan commission that worked extremely well together to come up with these changes. So um, that created what, this surplus. What exactly was that? Like what uh, were some of the key things there just to give us some context of it? Like what were the changes that were able to start creating a surplus out of the system? Well, they um, first, one of the big um, things that was introduced in 83 and again added to in 94 was that some of uh, social security taxes, uh, excuse me, so, social security income is, is taxed. Um, only up to 85% of it can be taxed and it's a complicated equation that determines how much. Um, those funds that are collected from taxing social security income go back in the trust funds. But that was one of the, one of the uh, things that they changed. They also um, set up the change for full retirement age. Um, those born in 1943 to 54 have a full retirement age of 66, but then we're in this transition period now where, where uh, for each later year that you're born up to 1960, the full retirement age increases. Um, those born 1960 and after have a full retirement age of 67. So there was a number of, of other changes that were made, but um, they it was it, it was a good collection of changes that both parties agreed on, which is really admirable given today's um, <laughs> yeah political. It's not easy to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, if you kind of had that crystal ball, is that possibly what we're looking at down the line? Because it's, it, I mean, it's just kind of odd. Like you, you referenced like in the folks who were born in the fifties, you kind of have this scale of their normal retirement age going from 66 to 67. And then 
it's like okay. everybody after 1960, which now we're in 2022. So that's quite a there large you. demographic uh, is all at age 67. Is that, is that going to be like the easiest change that they're probably going to explore? You know, that, um, that actually is not one of the top items. The, the two bills I'm aware of now both look at what is known as the maximum taxable earnings. Um, the benefit, I'll just digress a little bit here, but the, sure. the Social Security program is comprised of so many different rules and calculations. And so there are many, many ways to tweak those rules, to adjust them slightly, um, any, any number or combination of those to get this, the, the program back on track to be good for the 75 years that the, that the uh, Social Security Administration plans for. So, um, but one of the ones is, is changing that maximum taxable earnings. So right now, in this year, 2022, the maximum taxable earnings that we are taxed on our, our payroll tax uh, is 147,000. And um, the problem is that the earnings for above maximum earners have, has grown faster than overall earnings. So that, that earnings limit goes up a little each year but it hasn't really kept up with what's happening with high earners. So there's uh, proposals to um, right now, they both uh, create a donut hole. So uh, in other words, one of them proposes taxing those who earn 400,000 and over. So there would be a gap there between 147 and 400. Another one proposes um, doing that for income over 250,000. So um, that's one of the most common funding mechanisms that's being proposed right now is to, to raise that cap on how much income is contributed into social security. Okay, that's interesting. And Excuse me. So, I mean, as you look at these reports, which you referenced from like the Social Security Administration, when they come out with the trustees report and it mm -hmm. says that it'll be depleted in 2034, 2035, or the right. Congressional Budget Office says depleted in 2032, I think is what the report said. So when they say depleted and you mentioned that it would go from a funding of 100 percent where we're at today to 80 percent, mm -hmm. does that mean if they didn't change anything, like people's benefits would just decrease? by 20% in that year? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's if, if no changes were made. And um, I just don't see that happening. Um, that there are, you do hear slightly different years, like you mentioned, Brian, because um, they refer, so the, the official name for social security is OASDI, old age, uh, old, a, o, a, o, old, a, old age survivor and disability insurance. And that's actually two separate uh, funds. One is disability and one is the traditional retirement and survivor benefits. So um, that's another thing that's being proposed is just, they're basically one trust fund. 
but each of those, the disability payments and the on the other side, the Social Security retirement and survivor, those have different uh, estimates of when they they each would run out. And there's a proposal to combine those two just because they really are like one one large trust fund um, and that would save on administrative costs. So um, that's why you hear this these different numbers of years is up when it would run out. But that is, okay. like I said, that's the surplus that would run out and it would revert to pay as you go. And that's all based on social security actuaries, you know, calculating the number of workers, the wages, um, you know, it just wiggles around every year when they come out with that report. Yeah. It, I think the thing, I mean, for, for folks who take a quick glance at this, that is kind of, alarming, I would suppose, is when you read those statistics of like when Social Security was getting started and in the 1940s, there were 40 workers per beneficiary or a statistic yes. around that, that number. And then now here we are today in the modern era, and maybe there's two workers per beneficiary. Yes. And then with folks living, of course, you know, maybe into their 80s, 90s and beyond, it just seems like there, it's like it's a it's a big ask to keep the program going as we've known it when it, the population dynamic has changed so much. Um, so I mean, if like if if you were at the helm, I know we mentioned this the donut hole and the the tax proposal, but what are maybe some things that that you would do that that seem to make sense to to keep the program alive and well? Well, I'm first. I will say that I that there is such um approval and uh, you know across the board across ages across political spectrum for the program mm -hmm. uh, so i i don't see the possibility of it um of of the uh, you know just the nation as a whole letting that go letting those benefits decrease it's it's a huge part of seniors retirement for many people it's it's the majority if not all of their income um, and so I'm I'm very much of course in in favor of making sure the program continues and I am in favor of that adjustment on the maximum taxable earnings limit. I, um, whether that is to tax, you know, to have a gap and then start taxing again on higher earners or whether it's, uh, whether it's a, a modification on the way that the maximum taxable earnings is calculated each year. Maybe it can be changed so it goes up slightly more each year than it has been. Um, it's right now, it's the national average wage index, but that doesn't tell the whole story with the amount of high, the growth of high earners that we've had recently. Um, another thing, I'm also in favor of a very slight and long over an extended time period of, uh, of, it's just a fraction of a percent on the payroll tax. The payroll tax has been 6.2% for, I think, uh, I'm not sure, but I think it has been since the 80s. Um, so I wouldn't, I would think that might, that could have a huge impact by um, 
just having that go up slightly. I'm not really, a lot of people rec, a lot of people suggest maybe even raising the, the full retirement age higher or limiting the early retirement, which is age 62. Um, but I don't, I'm not personally in favor of those. Um, some people, you know, can't work longer. And even though life expectancy has gone up, um, I, I just don't think that that's a good way to solve the financial situation by, by changing those more. Okay. So you would be more in favor of putting more into the system rather than taking less out of the system at a later point in time. Yes. And these bills that I've mentioned, they not only, um, recommend changes to extend the longevity financially, but they also are including changes to actually strengthen the program, um, to calculate survivor benefits in a slightly different way, to make those more beneficial, to possibly extend what's considered a child benefit, uh, which is now up to age 18 to age 22. to increase the way the benefits are calculated. So all, all these proposals are not just simply extending, uh, you know, how much more money can be brought in, but they are offering ways to strengthen it and make it even a better, a better program for families. Okay. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of complexity here with, uh, just such an enormous, I mean, one of the bedrocks of, of American finance, you know, is certainly social security. It is. So, you know, with some of that said, what I would ask maybe is what are some of like the biggest misunderstandings that people have about social security and claiming their benefits? Like, are, are there some things that kind of jump off the page, you know, that are big no-nos or that you see as common mistakes? Yes. Well, that, yeah, people, uh, I think there's a general understanding about how benefits increase from age 62 to 70, the longer you wait to claim them. Um, but it's not that simple. It's not just the age you claim that helps you to maximize or optimize that claiming decision. It depends on the rules and there's 2,700 rules in the program's operations manual for social security. Um, And then there's exceptions to those. So there are so many different rules that apply to individuals. And so not being aware of or educated and knowledgeable about the rules that apply to you, you may be missing out on some opportunities to make a better claiming decision. Um, and those, those run from, you know, if you collect social security between 62 and your full retirement age, and you're still working, you're subject to the earnings test. Um, if you, uh, it, it depends on your life expectancy, of course, it, it depends on, um, for couples, their age differences, their, retirement benefit amounts. Um, So there's just all kinds of um, different factors that can 
affect individuals in very different ways. And is it true? Because uh, what I kind of often hear quoted is that if you were to live to life expectancy, whatever that is considered right now, that whether you decide to collect early at 62 or defer to age 70, that if you were to pass away right at life expectancy, it's essentially the same payout. And that's where they come up with, oh, if you die earlier, then 62 is a better option. Or if you die later and live longer, then deferring, you know, paid off for you. That's that exactly correct. It's, it's that actuarial statistics that they use at the Social Security Administration to, um, to calculate those benefits and set those, those numbers. That's how it all started and that's uh, how, it, how it is now. Um, mm -hmm. but, but average life expectancy is not the same as each of our own individuals maximum age of life. So sure. uh, it, it's really important for people to understand, and this is what I missed when I first was introduced to the topic, is that social security is like an, an annuity that we are all paying into as we contribute through our payroll taxes. That, that payout is what you will receive for the rest of your life with a cost of living adjustment every year. Um, so for many people, that is, like I mentioned before, it's their largest uh, asset. It really should be considered an asset in retirement planning and should be given that level of consideration when, when claiming that in the context of every, all your other financial considerations for retirement. Um, you know, the average, the average Social Security monthly benefit, I think right now is about 1660, uh, maybe like 20,000 a year. That just adds up over 20, say another 20 years of retirement to, you know, over 400,000. And we commonly see couples, two high earning couples that we do analyses for. Um, there's a potential for them to be collecting $2 million over their lifetime. So when you consider your maximum age of life, because you want to reduce that longevity risk, you don't want to run out of money later in life. So you don't want to say, okay, I think I'm going to die early. You should plan for dying later because we don't, you know, it's an, it's a, an, a lifetime benefit. And, yeah. and so does that, that kind of lend itself to favoring more deferring social security if we can, because isn't the, like the growth rate and the payout each year, as you defer from 62 up to 70 to the maximum, isn't it somewhere around 8% a year? how much you're, you're kind of gaining by each year that you defer? It is. It's, it's actually a monthly increase, Brian. So it's um, when, when you're 62, um, it goes up 5 to 7% a year up to your full retirement age. And that's when you collect what is known as your primary insurance amount. And that's the PIA, it's called that because Social Security is the Federal Insurance Contributions Act, FICA. And so that's why it's called an insurance amount, a payment. After your full retirement age, it does go up 
again, a fraction of a percent every month, but that totals 8% up to age 70. So the difference between collecting at 62 and 70 is an increase of about 76% yeah, in, that, in that lifetime payment. That's quite a jump. And so you said, just to clarify from the normal retirement age, so whether that be 66 or 67, mm-hmm. when you defer to 70, how how is that eight percent? Is it eight percent over those three or four years, or each year yes. it's going up eight percent? It's not compounded though. So if if yeah. your full retirement age is sixty seven, then it would increase by twenty four percent if you okay. wait to collect at seventy. And yeah. that is the that's the full retirement age we're using in our case examples now, um, because those folks now are sixty two, so they're newly eligible for for retirement benefits. Yeah. And what are, I guess a lot of the the questions I I hear and I see are, we have spouses, then they're saying, you know, he's 67, I'm 62. Um, You know, when should one of us start to collect? Uh, That's probably, I would imagine, one of the most popular questions you get is like, do we click the button at the same time? Or does he go, then I go, or if she goes, I go? Like, well, that's what are some of the thoughts there? That's such a good question because um, it's not as simple as me just saying the average benefit is this. So that works for a single person and that works for a single person's life expectancy consideration, but it gets much more complicated for couples. So mm-hmm. uh, first of all, there's uh, there's a spousal benefit. What a spousal benefit is, if there's a a big difference in the PIAs, their full retirement benefit amounts, um, and one person's is much, much lower, then they would collect a spousal benefit. And a spousal benefit is up to 50% of your partner's PIA if you collect that at your own full retirement age. So as an example, you have a couple, and historically, this is still the, the situation that the, the husband of the couple has the higher earnings, and I'll use that case example, but, it, but Social Security is gender neutral. So whoever has the higher earnings um, would be um, the one that the couple would want to delay as long as possible because the survivor benefit, the survivor of that couple will collect the higher of the two amounts when the first one passes away. So you can see the benefit of the higher earner, if possible, waiting to collect till 70, that would maximize that that higher benefit, that would uh, increase their finances throughout retirement, and it would also leave the survivor with the highest amount. Now, if the spouse of that uh, earner, say say the higher earner has a PIA of 2,800, and the spouse um, was a stay-at-home mom, um, maybe she has quite a quite low PIA of $800. So, if she were to wait till her full retirement age to collect, she could collect half of 2,800, which would be 1,400. She would get that 
$600 spousal and her own $800 for a total of $1,400. But she cannot collect a spousal benefit until her husband starts to collect his retirement benefit. So that's where you, that's where we help clients analyze what's the best situation. She could start claiming at her full retirement age and collect 800. And then when her husband, depending on their age differences, when he collects his retirement at 70, she would get a bump up in her benefit amount to equal that uh, $1,400. Does that make sense? It does. And just because I've seen some of these, I'm, I'm sure if someone that's new to this, maybe listening might be um, just getting a little confused because I know these are a lot easier to see when they're kind of illustrated. The visual certainly yes. helps, but I think what some people might start confusing this with is with file and suspend. And um, I know that was like one of the most common strategies when people heard, well, what should you know about social security? It was kind of spoken about as like, oh, there's this, this kind of loophole that you really need to know about that it kind of suggested some of what you were saying of, well, do I collect the benefit now? And then I get to kind of switch gears and then collect the higher benefit later on. So maybe if you can just kind of clarify what you were just describing and then what they, with the file and suspend, what they're kind of have done away with. Okay. Yes. So the basic rules about spousal benefits now, spousal benefits have not gone away. Some people even thought that back in 2016, a spousal benefit can be collected if, um, if you're a fifth, up to 50% of your, your spouse's PIA amount, that full retirement amount, if you collect it at your full retirement age. But you cannot collect a spousal benefit unless the earner, the, the worker whose earnings you're collecting that on has started collecting their own retirement benefit. So, Got it. so I think just to stop there, I think that's really important. So like, let's say in your scenario, the wife was the older one, the, the yes. homemaker. So mm -hmm. if she's 68 years old and then the husband who made quite a bit of money in his career is only 64. Mm -hmm. So he's not, he hasn't decided to start collecting yet. Right. She, she's either just got to take her own or, or continue to wait because yes. there is no spousal yet until he turns it on. That's correct. And that's a really good example. I thank you for, for mentioning that. And then she's 68 and he's four years younger. She would collect what she's eligible on for on her own earnings, her own retirement benefit. But when he started collecting a retirement benefit, she would be eligible for an additional amount equal to the okay. spouse. Yeah. So they'd essentially kind of step her up to hit, to the spousal benefit based on him. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's okay. a step up. It's not, it's not a switch, you know, because technically the spousal, she would receive an amount of $1,400 if his PIA is $2,800, but it's really technically comprised of her retirement benefit plus the step up of $600 yeah. more. Now the file and suspend that can I, I just because I have one question I don't want to forget on that. Yes. That, and, I, and I get this a lot too from clients where there's some confusion is in that scenario we just described when she says, okay, my higher earning husband 
is now going to collect. So I'll take the spousal. Is the spousal benefit 50% of what he's collecting at that time based on whatever age he started? Or does her age factor in at all to what her 50% is? It does factor in because remember, she can only collect 50% if she collects at her full retirement age or, or later. Um, okay. she, she only, the spousal benefit does not increase above the 50% value of the other spouse's PIA. So her husband, you mentioned in the case, if he was 64, if he started collecting at 64, he would get a reduced amount on his own retirement benefit, yeah, right? Yeah. But if she was 68, she would still be entitled to the amount of 50% of what he would collect at his full retirement age. Okay, so as soon as the, the breadwinner starts collecting, the spouse, if she in this instance is over her full retirement age, she will get 50% of his payout if, as if he were at his full retirement age. Yes, yes. Okay, right. is, I hope people very... can follow that because I it makes sense, but I know you almost have to kind of replay that to really grasp it. Well, and that's, you know, I it's very frustrating. I give a lot of presentations and like you said, it's a very visual um, topic and all the numbers and it's very easy to display that on a, a presentation sure. um, for people to understand um, I I think the main takeaway here is that how complicated it can be and um, that's why we formed NARSA and that's why I, cheat, I taught courses was because I just I want people to understand how confusing it can be but that there's help out there for getting this figured out so that you have the comfort of knowing that you're making that right decision based on your circumstances. Yeah. And it's really surprising. I mean, when you frame it that way, that this is, you know, the biggest source of retiree income and so many people are like, well, how does it work again? Like all the way up until yeah. they're about to collect as a retiree. Exactly. Exactly. And, um, <laughs> it is. When you think of that way, it's like, how did, how did, how are we not all educated a little bit more on this? You know, well, that's, that is another major besides educating retirees that they need to get help on this and that help is available um, that the younger generation, I want them to understand that they are contributing into this lifetime annuity that they're going to receive. And I want them to be as engaged as we are at our age um, to understand the program and to be the advocate for this. Um, it, it's, it's really, yeah, it's just many people's largest asset. Yeah. Definitely. And just to kind of, to carry on that, that same thread of when we're going to collect, which is kind of this magic question, I guess. It, it, so many people say like the, the later that you wait to claim, if you can defer, the better off you are. So if we were just to take kind of the, the totally average couple of average health, average means, average budget, they're mm -hmm. just middle of the road America. Is that true? Is that just kind of an easy rule of thumb or? 
is there something there that people maybe misunderstand? It is an easy rule of thumb. Um, the longer you wait, the more you're going to collect. People, um, people often want to see, well, what is that break-even age? What is the age um, that if I started at 62, my cumulative amount uh, or versus starting at 70, that my cumulative amount starting at 70 would overcome the starting at 62. In other words, I'm better off waiting if I live to a certain age, right? Um, but we don't like, I don't, I forget who said this, but we don't die on time. We don't, <laughs> we don't know. We, it's, you want to plan for maximum life expectancy. And so if, if you are able to financially, and that's where, why we train and educate financial professionals on this, because we want them to help their clients, given the context of all their other financial resources, um, to make this decision, because if you can afford to claim to wait, then you are going to be better off. Got and it. your and your survivor of your couple will too. That's a that's a, I I can't emphasize that enough for couples to consider the survivor benefit. Yep, and that's another one that just anecdotally I've seen with working with hundreds and hundreds of clients is a common misunderstanding is that fact that when one of the spouses passes away there's only one benefit left. You know, yes. a lot of, when that's brought up, a lot of people kind of say like, well, wait a minute, we get, we get to, two social security checks every month. You know, I thought we'd just keep that forever. And um, yeah. unfortunately, sometimes that can be kind of a rude awakening when it's, well, the lesser one's going by the wayside. It is. And, and there's actually a, a widow's limit because if you consider in the case, um, the higher earner started collecting at 62 and um, the widow or widower would be at a real disadvantage because uh, that, that started at a, a, you know, a 30, 25 to 30% cut. On, they were collecting a much lower benefit. Um, so there is a Social Security sets a limit of 82.5%, I think, of the PIA to protect the survivor because the person with the highest earnings collected so early. So what does that, what does that mean that if you can just explain that widower's benefit? Well, the, the widow, the way a, a survivor benefit works is, again, it is, it's more complicated even than the the spousal and retirement, because you can collect survivor benefits as early as age 60. Um, they are reduced if you collect early, you know, between 60 and your full retirement age, but they, they don't increase past full retirement age and neither do spousal benefits. So, um, but survivor benefits are more lenient in that you can, you can collect a survivor benefit at 60 and then if your own retirement benefit has continues to grow up to age 70, you can switch over. Um, but if, uh, if the spouse that you're collecting that on collected early and took a real reduction in their own retirement benefit, then depending on when the survivor collects, that could be even further reduced because it 
depends on when the survivor collects that benefit. Does that make sense? I don't know if I followed the end there. Why would it be further reduced? Because if, if the widow or widower collects between 60 and their full retirement age, the benefit they're eligible to collect is reduced. So they okay. don't, they don't get the full 100% of what their spouse was collecting. Okay. And now what was, the, you mentioned a, a limit there. I don't know if that was a minimum or a maximum. That, that's a minimum. So. so that's okay. a minimum. So um, if someone, uh, if, if someone was uh, collecting, had collected early, they were collecting a greatly reduced retirement benefit. And then the survivor, um, there's a minimum that, um, they would collect at a certain age, which is 71 and a half percent at 60. But if that, if that 71 and a half percent is lower than 82 and a half percent of the PIA, it gets bumped up to 82 and a half percent. So these are like, these are details that are really, really hard to explain without seeing a demonstration. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm kind of probably getting some people. But to- it sounds like <laughs> just to kind of <laughs> summarize verbally, it sounds like there is some assistance there for the the widow who maybe is younger than their, their spouse who's passed away and had collected early. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And what about kind of along those lines, what if you have a couple that has a, a large age difference? You know, if they are eight or 10 years apart yeah. or even greater, um, yeah. do they start to look at social security more as just kind of like an individual item or are they still contemplating it as like a couple? Oh no, very much contemplate it like a couple. Um, and one of the uh, common cases we see now are, um, greater age differences and possibly uh, with minor children in addition to that. So that, uh, you know, having a young spouse who's taking care of minor children when the other spouse is starting to collect retirement, um, the younger spouse and both children would be entitled to dependent benefits. So there's a limit on how much social security will pay out on one person's earnings record that has retired and is collecting retirement benefits. But you can imagine how complicated that can be um, because the young spouse would be entitled to child and care spousal benefits because if they have children under 16, the children themselves would be eligible up to 18. Um, the spouse would then be eligible for a regular spousal at 62. So those are really, really critical cases to analyze and determine what is, is best. And yeah, that, that might be getting beyond, you know, the, the, I guess the scope of some of this, but um, just to kind of stay high level. And I know that uh, I, I kind of cut you off before when we were starting to introduce the file and suspend but that might be a good one to kind of end on as far as kind of case studies. Um, Cause I'm sure right now on, on a podcast, you're hearing this, you're wanting to know more about it and you're kind of getting it, kind of seeing it, but not fully 
yeah. maybe all of this, unless this is the second go round of listening to this episode. But can you just tell us kind of the crux of what file and suspend was and why it's no longer there? Yes. So that was a couple's claiming strategy and it was phased out by uh, legislation in the end of 2015. It was phased out uh, the first four months of 2016. So it's been quite a while that it hasn't been available. Um, and what that allowed um, couples to do. So remember how I said you cannot collect a spousal benefit unless the uh, other spouses collecting their own retirement benefit. Well, the file and suspend allowed one spouse to file for retirement benefits and the other spouse would start and collect those spousal benefits. And then the one collecting retirement was able to suspend, voluntarily suspend their payment um, and their own retirement benefit would continue to grow and their spouse would still be receiving the spousal benefit, even though they were not collecting the retirement benefit. So that's what was phased out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you hear that and it's almost like, why was that there for so long? Like it, it almost that seems was like. An, it was an unintended consequence of some legislation back in 2000 that, Yeah. It ended up being a loophole. There's one other one I won't get into, but it was phased out. Um, this year's the last year it can be used. So we don't even talk about it really anymore. <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> enough. And now with some of these strategies, like as, as people hear about this and maybe by now they're saying, all right, uh, these numbers are blending together. My head's spinning a little bit. Yeah. And they're wondering, all right, am, am I supposed to go back to the social security office to get my step up from my spousal benefit to my own normal deferred benefit or so on and so forth. Is there any sort of just kind of algorithm or something that it's like, all right, social security is going to give me now what I'm supposed to be entitled to, or is the onus always on the individual to go follow up and to go correct, um, you know, so that they're actually being taken care of as they should. Well, um, I advocate for all our clients to, to be proactive on that. There, um, when you turn 70, um, you should, they should automatically, um, you know, start you on social security if you haven't enrolled because 70, no, no, they don't do that. They don't do that, but they should make that switch. If one spouse, starts collecting retirement and they should bump up the spousal benefit as, um, but I recommend people make sure that that's happening. Don't, don't wait. Don't assume that social security knows everything that's going on. Um, there's so many rules that affect your benefit. I didn't even get into mentioning pensions, but, um, you need to be proactive based on your own circumstances and, make sure uh, social security is making those changes. And that is especially true with survivor benefits because they cannot be applied for online. They need to be applied for in person or on the phone. And survivor benefits are the most underclaimed or incorrectly claimed benefits of, of all. So uh, it's just, it's a hard time when you've lost your spouse, but um, 
it's something. Yeah, the, just to clarify the terminology here. So the survivor benefit, that is not just when, um, you know, a, a surviving mm-hmm. widow goes and has her benefit stepped up to the, the deceased benefit. Um, it is, but okay. there's, yes, it, 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 well, stepped up. Um, well, if, if or someone when they trade, I guess you could say, and they get rid of the lesser one. Yeah. But if you have someone whose husband or wife, the one partner passes away in their uh, late fifties, mm-hmm. then that, um, that the survivor needs to plan for what are they going to start collecting survivor benefits at 60? Are they going to collect their own retirement benefit at full retirement age? So there's decisions and calculations that that should be looked at there. Sure. And and then one maybe last thing to touch on where sometimes people think like, all right, well, if I'm collecting, um, and I die is almost as if there's like a life insurance or a death benefit somehow associated with this. Um, and it, correct me if I'm wrong, there is a social security type of death benefit, but isn't it only like $250 or some amount that it, is often is. kind of ridiculed? It is. It's $255. Yes. Yeah. That's hard to even understand why it's there. It seems, I hate to say it, it almost seems like a slap in the face to even it is be given that amount yeah i i need to look into i it i don't think it's been adjusted over the years but that's what it is yeah 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 i think that's there's a lot here certainly a lot to chew on and i think that's one of the things i've heard a lot of people speak about when they talk about for instance an immediate annuity um some of the reluctance folks have is all right well if i fork over a large chunk of money and you're going to give me some systematic payout, like a pension or something like that. But then what happens when I die? Like, does, does all that money just disappear and stick with that annuity company? And I know that was a common objection to kind of the concept. So there's other annuity type vehicles where there can, you know, have essentially the balance of that deposit go to a, to a loved one or beneficiary or payments extend for a certain period of time to a beneficiary. But Social Security does not operate that way. You know, once once both spouses have passed away, for all intents and purposes, Social Security is done paying that household. Yes, I mean they do get the higher of the benefits, but it, it unlike an annuity, you know, it's based. It's an earning earned income based uh, benefit, so um, it goes away with that earner. The lower part yeah. does, and there's there's talk of adjusting of giving an alter alternative adjustment to that survivor benefit, um, so that you would have the choice of collecting the higher of the two. That's another one of the tweaks that that are being looked at for strengthening the the system, because okay, you know they, there is quite a cut in the benefit when one person dies. Oh yeah, yeah, without a doubt, especially if they're both you know, made about the same money and had pretty much equal benefits. Exactly. It's almost like a 50% reduction. Right. Um, anything else that you might want to share with our listeners? I know we've, we've covered a lot of ground here on an extremely important topic, but one that certainly needs some more time uh, to, to really grasp and allow people to make decisions, but anything else as far as a pointer or anything you could share? 
Um, no, I, I just wanted to uh, just emphasize the need as I've probably overwhelmed everyone with the numbers and the details, but, uh, and I don't certainly don't mean to, to do that, but it, it, it is extremely complex and complicated. And our goal at NARSA is to um, make sure that everyone is going to receive what they're entitled to. And um, it's extremely important to become educated, learn what applies to your circumstances and make sure that you're taking all that into consideration when you, you know, when you apply. And we're there to help you with that at narsa.org. And we do have in-house analysts. Um, that's how I got started. I just started my own business, um, charging a fee to, to help people by doing a software analysis. So um, that's our goal, to educate you and make sure you get all you're entitled to. Got it. Well said. Well, everyone, I hope that you, you found this episode helpful. I know it's, it's such a uh, pressing topic that, that you want to know more about. And hopefully this was a really good introduction to how social security works and how important it is for everyone. Um, so please feel free to reach out with more questions. We could even have more episodes kind of on the topic. Uh, but once again, my name is Brian Kaderna. You've just listened to the Kaderna podcast, and we had the pleasure of speaking with Martha Shedden. And Martha, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. All right. And everyone signing off, we will see you next time. This podcast is intended for the general public and for informational purposes only. The show does not provide any recommendations or investment advice regarding any specific account type, service, strategy, or product, or to otherwise act in any fiduciary or other capacity. Please contact a financial professional for guidance and information that is specific to your situation. Brian Kaderna does not provide tax or legal advice. Please contact your accountant or legal advisor to discuss your situation. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Kaderna Financial Team, and opinions stated are their own. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. References to specific securities, asset classes, and financial markets are for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a solicitation, offer, or recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Brian Kaderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 300 Broadacres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003. Phone number 973-244-4420. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Kaderna Financial Team is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0K04194.